Hello. Hello, is this Christina? Yeah, this is she. Hey, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? Oh, doing really well. It's uh, Dustin, Logan, and Chris today. Yeah. Yeah. Hi. Hi. How are you doing today? Good. Good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us inside the Crazy Ant Farm. We really do appreciate you taking time to come talk to us today. Yeah, no problem. Awesome. So, yeah, uh, just to give you a heads up, it's very conversational. It's uh, more of just a bunch of people sitting around the table having a conversation than it is Q&A. Just really relaxed okay, cool. and kind of a good time. So, um, And what we like to do first is kind of introduce you to our listeners a little bit by kind of saying how you got in the industry and a little bit about your background and everything, and then just kind of take it from there. Okay, awesome. Awesome. Okay, well, the first thing that jumped out at me was uh, dancing. You kind of got your start in the industry in dance and I mean, even won a U.S. national championship. So my question is first, we can say, uh, how did you decide that maybe, I mean, if so good to win a U.S. national championship, but decided, eh, I want to do acting. How did that come <laughs> about and how did that whole transition go down and what was that like? Well, it's funny. My mom, I started dancing because my mom, I was way too hyperactive, and my mom kind of needed to get rid of me a little bit. <laughs> so I, um, well, I that's that kind of what well. introduced me to any sort of performance at a really young age. And I loved it and got really obsessed with it. And I think when you have that much passion for anything, it you know you're going to push really far. And I got really far with dance, obviously, because I had a really supportive family and really amazing coaches. And then, uh, l like you said, we won nationals, and that was amazing. But there was something with dance and being on the stage where there was an essence of like wanting more wanting to be able to tell a story because i do think that dancing you are st you're still a storyteller absolutely and that's an amazing aspect of it but you get to a point at least i got to a point where i wanted more i wanted um to use my voice as well i wanted language and i was also like really in love with books already and, and really falling in love with storytelling um through language and so it, it sort of was the next natural step to be like well i want to incorporate my voice and what does that look like so then i just started it really exploring you know my sister was in um school for theater at the time so i just stole a bunch of her books and i was like oh this seems like it melds the movement of dance and then brings in this other element that that gives me more. So I just started exploring <laughs> like what she was doing awesome, and it kind nice. of w was an automatic answer for me. And so did you kind of make the transition to stage first before into film and television? Did you find that like you could take the dance into more of a stage or theater work first? I did because that was what was available to me right. immediately because I could go, you know, to a local college and get on stage and start taking courses really easily. So stage was the next, you know, natural progression from dance. And because I will always have a soft spot for being on the stage. So, and that was the books that I was reading. I was reading like Uta Hagen, which is a stage-based, you know, she's a stage-based acting teacher. So that was the, the natural progression. And then, um, I sort of started working in Nashville a little bit and then got introduced to TV and film and loved the intimacy of it. So I was like, okay, this is where I want to land. Uh, I didn't really have any um, reason why I decided that. It was just something in my heart of like, I like um, both the reach that it has. I feel like you can reach a larger audience that way. And um, I like the intimacy of it. 
That's a, yeah, that's interesting. And, and so Nashville, uh, just for the fans who don't know, you kind of that was that was taking place in Nashville. What was the industry like uh, for television and film there? I mean, I know Music City, and I, I would imagine a lot of music videos and, and a lot to do on the music circuit. What was the film and television industry like at that point when you were trying to get into it there? At the time, it was almost non-existent there were really tiny um productions going on through independent film and that was i was introduced to that mostly through people that i met like you said um on music video shoots i ended up doing a ton of music videos and that got me on set learning about you know what it's like to be on a, a professional set and um I learned like who was working in the film industry in Nashville and what they were doing and got introduced to commercials that way. And then people would branch off and make their own short films and independent films. And uh, really at the time, the Nashville market was nestling like what it is now where they had, you know, any of their own shows with CMT or, or, you know, the show Nashville, like none of that existed at the time. So it was a very different industry, but it was enough that, um, I could get that sort of foundation and, and um, join the union and all of that there before I decided, you know, you hit that ceiling really quickly. Right. And, and that was, I hit a ceiling where I pretty much couldn't be used anymore for music videos because the record labels knew who I was. And so that was sort of my sign to go out, you know, to a bigger market, right. whether it be LA or New York. And I always knew that was the goal anyway. See, and I love that. You know, we've had several guests on the show who use almost that same reference. Like when you, you know, when you outgrow the fishbowl, when you've become the mm-hmm. biggest fish in the pond, yeah. you've got to go and, and, and you've got to make that leap. And so, okay. okay so you say New York or LA, uh, you chose LA, right? Right. And, and so what, what base was it more because you felt like you were more headed towards film and television and thought LA would be better than New York or what, what made the decision between LA and New York? I do think it's it was the film and TV poll, and there's sort of there is sort of the, still that stigma of LA is the apex. So you go to LA and you, you make it in LA, and and you've made it. Right. So L- New York is more if I wanted to go the Broadway route, which is still my my goal of all goals is to get on Broadway one day. Um, but I want to do that through having a TV and film reputation, and then I feel like you can walk onto Broadway a lot easier. Absolutely. I just knew I was, you know, wanted to get the experience that I could get out in LA. So I just was always pulled that direction more. Fantastic. Well, first of all, congratulations, because, you know, to, to even attempt to make it in a market that's not thriving in the industry, like you said, and, and to be able to excel the way that you did and then make the leap to L.A., I mean, that that takes a lot right there. I think it really does show your passion for for what you're doing and your ability and skill to, to do it. So congratulations on that right there. Um, Thank you so much. Thank and you. so let me let I going from where you are the biggest fish in the pond or recognizable and 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 you're at a level to where you've reached kind of a pinnacle what was it like transitioning to LA where there's everybody out there is trying to do what you're doing and the competition when you walk in a room is on such a grander level than where you're coming from in Nashville what was that first like when you went out there was it intimidating or were you just like I got this I think it's twofold I think it's the I 
knew I wanted to be in LA for so long that I was just, you know, I moved into an apartment that was sort of like managed by a slumlord. And so like my, you know, my mom came and saw it and she was super sad about it, but I was so elated to finally land, to finally be in the place I had worked so hard to get to that there was almost like, um, I don't want to say naive because that has such a negative connotation, but there was so much excitement about being there because right. now it's like, okay, let's work. But then it was also, you know, that, that being acquainted with the ways of the world experience where it was incredibly difficult. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know where to start. I didn't, you know, no one wanted to look at me twice. And, um, you know, it's sort of the reason we don't know the future because we know it, we're not going to, you know, dive in fully because it's going to seem like such a struggle. So it was definitely twofold of like this extreme excitement and extreme struggle that kind of married together to, um, the beam that was the beginning of my LA experience and lasted for years and years. I mean, it, it, took forever to get a really good commercial agent and then theatrical agent and start to go out on a regular basis. And that just takes a really long time. But I think what saved me was in, in the in-between, I just want to learn everything I can learn. And that mentality is what was my survival of, of I, once I get in the doors, I'm going to know what I'm doing. And that, uh, and the ability to just want to always be learning is what has always kept me alive. So I was lucky to be introduced to really amazing mentors and teachers and classes and just never stop studying. I, lo- I love that because yeah. we have a lot of listeners for our show that are trying to break in the industry or have just gotten into the industry. And, and, and that was my question. How, how, when you, when you were faced with that struggle and like you said, it takes years and years sometimes, how did you, how did you face that and do that? And I love that. I, I think not enough people, you know, I, I think they turn away before they realize you, you've got to learn, you got to grow, you got to, you can continue to do it and make it, but you got to have some time and some persistence and some passion. And, and it's nice to hear when somebody does it that way and isn't you know i i mean get on a set right learn what you can learn any way you can learn it to get where you want to go i think that's extremely important for people trying to make it in the industry right right and also not put all of your worth because you you constantly run into meeting people and you say they ask what do you do and you're like you're i'm an actor and they're the first question is always well what have you done Right. And immediately we sink into the feeling of I'm worthless. I, I don't have this thing on paper that I can prove that I am this thing, that I am an actor. And I think so the worth of a, your art and your your person has to be separate from your resume. And I think for me, that's always saved me is that I know my self-worth as an artist is so rooted through my training and what I want to give to the world through my art and, and I've earned that and no amount of someone's reaction to what I've done can take that away. Wow. That, much respect that, that, that's a fantastic. Yeah. I have, uh, I have the same understanding. I'm just getting to that point myself is just trying to distance away from that. Like what I can do, mine sound, not acting, but right. in the same vein, in the same vein. And, and I love the fact mm. you separate your self worth from what your resume says. That I, wow. 
brilliantly said, and I think that's going to go a long way with our listeners to understand that concept because uh, you're so right. I think people can be defeated so easily when someone does approach them and they don't feel like they've lived up to whatever they're supposed to live up to. And yeah. I mean that. Wow, well said. Yeah. Thank you for that. That would that definitely, that's, yeah. yeah, definitely. And after- yeah, and that just makes me so sad because I just don't ever want someone to give up because of something external. That, right. That's right. Crap. You know that stuff is just noise that will shut down something that every single individual artist has to give you know yep yeah definitely well after hearing that and knowing how passionate you are about the industry what do you think about social media you hear constantly all the time nowadays about how casting directors and people want to see how many followers you had besides your actual talent what do you think about social media in that sense I, you know, I went through my own social media struggle of, again, you wrap it back into self-worth of like, if I'm going to go into, you know, I dabbled for a minute in print work and then I decided it wasn't for me. That's just not where I want to put my energy. But I, I don't, you know, I don't denigrate anyone that chooses to do print work. But that's something that they ask you, how many followers do you have? And immediately, again, it's that feeling of sinking of like, I can't prove that to you. Um, and so I would have girlfriends and, and guy friends that would be like, go and buy followers, go buy them. And I was like, that, that to me feels like a lie. Right, I right. feel like immediately I'm starting off lying. And it, you know, they talk about the idea of live from the place. So if I were already the caliber of actor that I want to be, you know, the level of somebody uber known, do I want to be a liar? And that's never how I want to represent my brand, you know? So I don't want to start, I don't want to live from that place. So it's like, okay, if they don't want me because I don't have, you know, a hundred thousand followers, then they're not my people. They're not my tribe, right. you know, nice. but I, I thought I fell prey to it and I, you know, got swept into it and let my self-worth get wrapped up in it for a while there. I, I think it was like maybe two years ago I fell into it. I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to share on my social media to attract more followers. And then I just was like, I'm exhausted. This is going to, this is pulling away from my own creative time uh, because I also, you know, paint and dance and have my own things. And I was like, why do I care about this thing? That's not even really me. Like if you sit down and you have a drink with me in the evening, that's going to be different than if you're watching me on social media. You can never really get the essence of who I am. And then I had sort of an epiphany of like, well, how can I show that? How can I show who I am in some way? And so I decided like cut all social media out except for one thing. So I really only use Instagram Mm -hmm. and And then what does that look like? What do I look like? And so that will attract the people that are similar to me. So now on Instagram, I'll share some dance videos because I love my dancing. And I'll share (laughs) some paintings because I love my paintings. And I'll share some stupid stuff about my dogs. And what naturally happened was I'd meet really cool people that were higher up in the industry that I... Um, and I may not have hundreds of thousands of followers, but the ones that I'm getting, I'm seeking out that are really high value and they're seeing that I, you know, it's about a value add. So I'm trying to add value of like, this is the stuff I'm creating. Follow it if you want to, if not, that's okay. And then again, I wrap back around to if someone only wants me because of my followers, that's 
that that's not my tribe. That's not how I'm going to make it. Right. And, and I'm at peace with that because there's something else in some other way that I'm going to do it. And again, if someone wants to do it that way or is doing it that way, I think that's amazing. It's just not for me because it distracts me too much. I, I like the the one thing that that stood out there is like you said when if you're at if you're at a place and you're having a drink you know it's totally different from what you see on social media and that that is such a valid point I think one of the major downsides to social media and in this era is that people have forgotten how to interact socially face to face like you, mm-hmm. you know it's almost you're terrified to go in and actually talk to somebody because you can't be the same way if you were talking to them on on social media and I, I so I love the fact that you bring that up because I, I do think that we've seen that consistently a problem where people just don't know how to interact socially anymore um and with face to face which is I, I love that you did that and I kudos because i do think that it's the right way to go on social media when you start sharing things that are important to you and things that mean things to you because then like you said you find similar followers that understand who you are so kudos for that that's yeah well thanks sure (laughs) so (laughs) what would you consider your first big break so you're out there you're you're kind of hammering you got out there for a couple years you're learning your craft you're taking classes you're doing things where's the first break come in that's funny to kind of gauge because I think there were different levels of breaks. So uh, there was like my first commercial break, which was, you know, the first time you book like a national commercial, which is, you know, I remember that. That was like a Nissan commercial I booked. I was like, okay, I can check that box. And then I think, (laughs) I think first TV break was probably, um, breaking into soaps like yeah. doing days of our lives and, and young and the restless and then the first thing i was like okay i'm a, I'm a real human person actor was was gray's anatomy because you're getting in and i was with gina davis who's like won an oscar and i'm you right. know it's it's high stakes so that's the first thing i was like okay i really earned this as an artist you know i had to show up in the room and and really tell a story that um required all of you know the culmination of all my my chops coming together. So for me, that was my first thing, but you know, for other people, it's always gauged in a different way. Yeah. So, well, uh, that's it. And so I I guess a question, because like you said, with Grey's Anatomy and stuff, what, what did you find the biggest difference transitioning from soap operas to uh, prime time or an hour long, you know, episodic drama? Like, uh, was there a big difference? Did you find that, that you liked one more than the other or, uh, what kind of a transition was that? It's funny because I think that soaps get such a bad rap and they're disrespected for um, so many reasons. But I really have such high respect for soaps because the <laughs> speed at which they're flowing through material. Right. You know, um, of course, I prefer regular, you know, well, I don't want to say regular because that's not really accurate. But um <laughs> I prefer things like Grey's or NCIS that I'm on now because you have more, you have the luxury of time. Right. Whereas soaps, they're going to do two takes if you're lucky and you're done. Yeah. Um, Which I think is amazing for an actor. I think, you know, actors should experience that because that level of stakes of like, you need to get in there, be prepared and get it done. Because 
they are, you know, and the people that are regulars on soaps are, you know, they're shooting 70 pages a day. Right. And the amount of material and the what you're asking your brain to do and absorb, I, I think is incredible. And so just that muscle, wow. I think, is, is really magic to learn. Like, however you're learning to absorb lines, you know, that's definitely one way to learn it. <laughs> yeah. I bet. So, we, yeah, we recently had uh, Eric Braden on the show yeah. also, and he said the same thing. Just the amount of pages that you rip through in a day is just completely unreal compared to what you would do on another. So, yeah, I, I can only imagine. I can't, I mean, that's got to be just but I guess the preparation, like you said, it must prepare you really well for when you do go into a show and you have time and you do have multiple takes. And I mean, it must have you completely prepared to go into a situation like that, I would gather. Yeah, because I do feel like there's a middle ground. I don't think that for my the way that I like to work, I don't want to do one take, but I don't want to do 57. So I I like a middle ground, which, mm -hmm. you know, most you know, TV is going to do TV movies. You're going to have, you know, a decent amount of the day to do one scene. And, and that's great. That's this happy medium. Um, but you're going to find, you know, you know, David Fincher will do, um, I haven't worked with him yet, but he'll do a scene sometimes an inordinate amount of times. And right. it's interesting to see what would come of that. And it's interesting to see what comes out of you when you do a soap. So everything's a learning experience, but, um, I find, you know, for where I'm at right now with my art, I like the, the, the middle ground. Awesome. So let's talk, first of all, congratulations on uh, NCIS New Orleans. Yeah. Um, let's talk about that a little bit. How's, how's it like working uh, in, in that environment? And what, I mean, that's just, that franchise is huge. Yeah. I mean, it's successful and it, I mean, it's spun off, what, two spinoffs now and um, just, I, I mean, what's it like to work in an environment like that? Yeah, I can imagine. That's a nonstop machine. Right. Yeah, it is. That's exactly what it is. It's a it's a machine. It is a machine that feels like a family. So, which is just, um, I don't know, it's such an honor to come into something like that. Because you think you're going to come in as a new person and a new character. And there's a lot of pressure uh, being a new character. Because you know you're going to have to earn your respect with the, you know, you want to earn it with the fans and earn it with the family. But right. they immediately make you feel... Um, welcome that you know all the cast and crew and scott's amazing and uh he's just a, he's a incredible human being it's like his energy is incredible and uh and you also think they're going to be a lot more rigid than they are i thought it was going to be like um i always over prepare anyway which i always want to be like that you know you over prepare your script and you want to make sure you're word for word and then you get in there and they're they're a lot more playful they'll let hmm. you have um sort of an improvisational um, attitude with your script, you know, which I never advise in an audition. I'm like, be off book and, and you know, yeah. be pretty uh, married to the script. Right. But once I got on set, they really let me have a lot of liberties with who I knew, like with Ginny, with my character, and um, even with the script, and there were some changes that were made, and... Um, it's just an incredible honor and a really amazing family to come into and uh, just a huge production and a well-oiled machine. I bet. Well, and that, that sounds fantastic. I mean, as a performer, it's got to be, 
I mean, just a blessing to be able to come in and have some liberty with a character and develop a character and to be to be able to go off book a little bit. So yeah, that's got to be exciting. Um, do you do you go back and forth? And now have you do you actually shoot some stuff here in New Orleans as well, or is it all in L.A. or how do you go? Oh no, I go back and forth. So primarily, I'm in New Orleans right now. Um, I'm actually about to do another movie here this week. So, but I go back and forth, like I'll be back in LA, um, early December. So I sort of am a gypsy right now, which I think is, um, good for me. Um, so yeah, I'll be back and forth until like the end of pilot season, kind of, kind of reevaluate where I need to root down, but it's been fun and I've really respected and appreciated the, the quiet that New Orleans has given me and my art and, and my mind, you know, especially after I, I had over 10 years in L.A. So yeah, yeah. this is an amazing thing to me. hear that, though, just getting quiet in New Orleans. I never <laughs> know that city for being quiet. You have to be in yeah. L.A. to understand the quiet of okay. New Orleans, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah uh... it's a different kind of... Um, for me, it's it's been extremely quiet, and I think it's probably because I don't have all the distractions and the all the friends and parties and events and all these right. things that you have. And when you have a, like a that much of an ingrained life, you come out yeah. here and you're like, okay, I don't know anybody <laughs> or anything. So uh, I think that's good for the brain every once in a while to just be like, okay, I need to listen to myself for a little bit. Absolutely. Oh, wow. yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So, okay, I want to talk a little bit about Pretext because you produced and wrote and starred in it, correct? 100%, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Wow. That, and uh, it's some definitely an interesting topic, a rape victim who's talking to her rapist. Um, that had to be intense. Where, where does the idea for that come from, first of all? And um, how did that come about? Because like I said, that it's, one, a very timely conversation right now, if I'm going to be mm-hmm. honest. And uh, so whereabouts did that come from, the idea for that? And how did that all come together for you? That came from, well, I have a lot of family in, uh, in, you know, a lot of family that are police and detectives and, and also I, you know, obviously women's issues are very close to my heart. So I'm pretty well acquainted with, um, the investigative process when it comes to rape investigations. And, um, I knew about something called pretext calling and this this whole project came about when I was uh, over a glass of wine with my friend Jeremy in LA and um, I told him about this thing called pretext calling where a victim is um, brought in and asked in front of a detective to call uh, the person that allegedly raped them and they do this to children as well children women men um, and they have them call and the detective will, you know, be listening to the phone call as well and be writing on a notepad things to say. Um, and co- the, the idea is that you're coax, like coaxing the alleged rapist to admit to what they did through, um, almost acting like you enjoyed what happened, but, uh, the tapes are not admissible in court and it usually ends up really re victimizing the victim. Mm. So, um, I explained that this thing exists and, um, the responses that I've gotten every time I've talked about this, this concept is, is kind of horror that why do I not know this exists, this existed and, and why are we doing this to victims? Um, and that was the argument. And then, 
we went on after having this conversation, I kind of Googled it. The only thing I came up with was official police documents. There was never uh, really any sort of blog started about it. There was never any videos. So it's like, well, let's make something. Let's just make something and um, throw it together and, and just kind of tell this story in any, any way that we can. And so we just sat down and kind of threw it together um, and wrote it and, uh, we did everything within like a two week span, like all the writing and pre-production and then shot it within like a two week span. So it was just something that we wanted to get out there. And that's why we put it up on YouTube right away. It was never about like making money off a pretext. It was just saying, Hey, this thing exists. And, um, we just want people to know that and then question the validity and, um, it was also really important to not demonize the detective in this, but say it's the system that's failing people. It's right. not people that, that are failing people. Wow. And is that still available on YouTube? Because I think that's an extremely important message and, and topic to get out there. So it'd be great if people could still find that and watch that. Is yeah, it- that, that's still up on YouTube. It'll usually just come up if you just search pretext. And it is very uncomfortable to watch it's it's an uncomfortable and harsh and we used to sort of you know the detective that we brought i mean the excuse me the um, director that we brought in um is this great iranian director and um he's familiar with um obviously being iranian he's familiar with these issues against um women and victims so mm-hmm. he had a very interesting emotional perspective that he brought in the editing and and the directing so it's very uncomfortable to watch um but we thought it was important to make it uncomfortable absolutely well, it's a full yeah, yeah it has to be well okay so let's kind of transition into that then a little bit with the me too movement and and the things that are kind of going on in the industry today in the culture and not just in in our industry the entertainment industry but all industries really um but in our specifically, have you seen a change, legitimately seen a change? Has it made things more difficult for you or easier for you? Or has it changed your approach on how you do auditions? Or, uh, I mean, what, what what are you seeing as an actress in this culture and in this transition of change, I guess, that we're seeing right now? That is a, again, I think it's a double-edged sword. I do think that anytime you, you shine a light, we're, we're going to start to shift. I don't think we're there yet. Um, in a lot of ways, I think in, in the climate that we're in, you know, there's a lot of things that are making me feel like we're moving backwards, mm-hmm. but um, everything's a pendulum swing. So there's going to be, you know, hopefully we'll settle that pendulum right there in the middle where it needs to be. Um, I personally have been lucky in my, you know, professional career that I've gotten on, really professional sets and, and other than some creepy meetings with some fake managers, <laughs> I have, um, not experienced, um, a lot of trauma in, in that world. I do think that, um, I've had some conversations with some friends that have been sort of sad because I think when there's any extreme reactions like this, you're going to have a pushback. And that's some of the men that I've spoken to they're like well now we don't feel like we can do anything or say anything and I don't think that's the answer either so it's it's coming to where people don't feel like they can um they want to just like push back or separate even more like men want to stay all the way away from women and then they get really awkward on set which that was one experience I had being on a set like the men just 
I understand they're in fear and I can't speak to that because I'm not a man that is on the other side of the Me Too movement. Right. But, but I don't think the answer is to then push back so hard that it's almost out of anger, which that's the only thing I have experienced. It's almost like they're mad that um, this has been brought up. So I don't know if that makes any sense at all because no, it's like trying to put, I'm trying to put something that feels not very tangible into words, but the, the backlash has been that I just feel like everybody's uncomfortable mm-hmm. and, and that makes me kind of sad because with the discomfort, we can't really get to a place where we could tell story truthfully. So if we're going to set and everybody's uncomfortable, then what are we going to do when we have a scene that's uncomfortable? So we have to figure out a way to navigate the Me Too movement where people are not being inappropriate, but also where we're not so scared of being inappropriate that we're making people uncomfortable, which is another kind of inappropriate. Yeah, it's just everybody trying to be fearful of like, oh no, if I say this or do this, I'm going to be out and I'm not going to have a job or ever do this again. Right, right. So there was almost like a, I did have an experience on set where there was like a joke going around and then I um, reiterated the same joke that was going around and I got some backlash. Like, I didn't say that. I I wasn't the one, I was like, whoa, I'm not going to me to you. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is the, there has to be a little bit of checks and balances where it's like, don't yell at me because I'm repeating a joke. Right. And it, and it wasn't even an off-color joke. So it's it's almost this fear that's causing an aggression, which is causing a discomfort among like mixed company that I don't feel like that's the answer either. And again, I don't want to sound like I'm coming because again, I I want to be like Gina Davis, who's creating this like institute fighting for women, like that I'm all the way on the spectrum of like fighting for women's rights. But anything that is making people um, that that almost like hostile and uncomfortable, I don't think that's the answer either. Right. So I think I need to get a little more clearer <laughs> with how I feel about it, but it just makes me sad. Anything that, that makes us separate even more. Right. I, 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 I don't know. I think you, I think you did a really good job of explaining how you feel about it and, and taking a, a, a valid look at both sides. I love, I, first, I, I don't think it takes away anything from you standing up for women and being an activist towards women. And, and, and while acknowledging that there might be some good guys out there who now are terrified to be a good guy because it might be misinterpreted. I think in fact, it makes you uh, much respect for you to be able to recognize that and to be able to see both sides because for all the bad guys out there, there are good guys out there who are now scared to death just to be a good guy. Yeah. And and I the fact that you said that and the honesty that you approach that with, I think it makes you even more commendable as a woman who stands up for women who can recognize that in men. So I think it was well said and I respect your honesty and thank you for discussing it with us. I really appreciate that. Absolutely. Thank you for uh, reflecting that back. Yeah, because you just want to, you know, you want to see all the sides. I think you do. That's the goal. It is the goal because nothing's going to, like you said, nothing will be accomplished if you can't see everybody's point of view and come from all sides. Uh, I mean, it it just can't. So um, you do a lot of work outside of acting, though. Uh, Animal rights. And I'm really curious about the mythic storytelling. I I, I, I have to ask about that. But let's talk about animal rights first. Um, because that, that's a passion and, and I mean, animals, 
There's a there's a lot of stuff. I mean, I know in our area alone, it, it's a big problem here. Uh, abused animals and and um, dog fighting rings and just uh, overpopulation of animals. Um, it it it's a big problem right now facing a lot of areas in our country. I think so. I commend you for your work on that. And let's talk about that a little bit and how you got involved in that. Right. I well, I grew up so in the middle of nowhere, like Clarksville, Tennessee, outside of Nashville, and so I, you know to my mother's chagrin have always been rescuing animals. I think that's just the natural instinct, which is probably me trying to rescue some innocent part of myself. Right. If you're, we're making it a metaphor. Um, but yeah, I think there's a, just, um, and this sounds awful, but there's a, animals can't grow up and speak and then fight for themselves. You know, there's such a pure raw innocence about animals. And I think that, uh, I have always had rescue animals and it's just, it's just a part of me that I can't really explain. I just will always want to have outreach when it comes to that. So it's, it's the same with, I really advocate for, and I would never like attack. Like I have a cousin who raises, um, you know, she raises, uh, why can I not think right now? Not mixed dogs. What? <laughs> Full breed? Not... Yes, thank yes. you. She raises <laughs> sure. purebred dogs. See, I don't even want to acknowledge it exists. No. <laughs> um, so I'm denying it's a thing. Um, so she raises purebreds. And um, so I'm not, I would never like attack her about that. But for me, I'm, I'm like, there's so many, there's so many stray animals in the world that need homes. So that that's my biggest thing that I advocate for. It's just like, don't buy an animal when when there's so many that need homes yes and so there's so much healthier when they come out like they really, are, they really are they don't have then you don't have to go through all this system of getting all these crazy medications because you know they're mutts just yeah. get a mutt yep and they just give you just as much love as any exactly. any dog out there they give exactly. you yeah well said. i could be right on that yeah Okay, so mythic storytelling. I'll be I'll be honest, I have no idea. What what is mythic storytelling? Well, that came about cuz I had an amazing amazing teacher who introduced me to Joseph Campbell years and years and years ago. And um Joseph Campbell studied um comparative religion and comparative mythology, which is pretty much the, you know, the myths and the stories that exist in cultures all around the world. Right. So pretty much if you study the myths of all cultures, it's sort of like, um, you know, like if you understand the Bible, you can understand a lot of like um, the storytelling. A lot of like our storytelling in America comes from the myth of the Bible. I'm, mm-hmm. not, I'm not saying, you know, people that believe in the Bible that that's, that's not true. I'm saying myth as a story. It's like right. myth pretty much just means storytelling. Right. So, um and the same with if you, like, study the Shadameh, which is, like, the Iranian version. Um, you can understand the Iranian culture so much better. So if you get to the foundation of where our, all of our stories come from, you can kind of – you can pick up a script at any time and you can trace it back to a really old myth, to a really old story. The idea is that there are no new stories, they're all just the recycling um, of these old myths that we've had or these old archetypes. So I just got obsessed with studying myths throughout the whole world because 
in all like every culture and myth has the you know an Adam and Eve story and what does it look like in every in different cultures what does that Adam and Eve story look like because it also it creates this idea that we're all interconnected like Mm -hmm. I think we all want to think like we're the only ones with this story of Adam and Eve and nobody else has it and we're so unique in that way which is is beautiful on the one hand but it's so it's so much more fun for me especially as an empathetic storyteller to be like look at how you know interconnected we are when we go and study myth in this culture that we think is so separate from us and and how can i connect it because ultimately i think that's what creativity is it it's connecting things that are seemingly unrelated so yeah it just it made my art so much better when i started to study all these myths and then it's the same with you know comparative religion you think that that all religions are so different from one another. And then you read the, their stories and it's like, Oh, this story relates to this one. It's just the names are different. Right. And again, that's never throwing the sacredness of anyone's religion under the bus, like saying yours is just like this because you know, the practices and the rituals are different, but to see similarity in what is inherently, you know, or seemingly different is so fascinating to me. I bet. And, and I, I, I guess the overall theme there is, and, and I, I love the, the approach that you took to it, is humanity. I mean, while, while there are many different cultures and many different aspects to how people live and where they cut, we, if you really sit down and look at it, have so much more in common and are so much more alike than, than we want to admit that we are. And maybe that's, that's part of the problem. Maybe if we all just sat down and realized for a minute... Like you just said, you know, you might think it's we're this way and nobody else is. But in reality, we're all way more uh, alike than we than we think. So I I love that. I I mean, well, you're a fascinating individual. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, That's a huge compliment. Uh, No, absolutely a a compliment. I I just I love your approach and the way that the way you've not only chased your career, but the way you continuously, obviously a very educated individual and you continue to to grow and educate yourself and in different ways. I mean, much respect for that. I really have a lot of respect for people who who never reach that plateau, who always feel like they have to better themselves and, and learn something new and look at things a different way. And you definitely seem to be one of those people. So yeah, that's wow. What an interesting conversation. Like, yeah. honestly, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for navigating it. No, <laughs> well, you know, I try. <laughs> it's much easier when we have guests who actually talk. So yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. You know. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, when you have a thing and you, you have this thing that you're so excited about and you're like, I don't know how to, take it out of the ether and put it into words and give it to people. Right. So you were great at that. You were yeah. great at facilitating that. So I well, appreciate it. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm going to take that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, definitely. Um, all right. Well, let's kind of wrap up a little bit for, for the people who are, uh, obviously we can see you on uh, NCIS New Orleans right now. Um, so we want to kind of, first of all, let everybody know where they can find you. And then we always like to kind of wrap up with what advice would you give to people trying to get in the industry? Maybe either advice that you would do or maybe pitfalls to try to avoid for people trying to get into the industry. I would say, I mean, first and foremost is train and train and train Mm -hmm. and find what keeps your soul alive. That's You know, and what keeps your soul alive for you, not what somebody is telling you is going to keep your soul alive. Right. I think uh, so find ways to get quiet and listen to what you have to say 
to the world and and don't go you know through your art and through your world asking what other people want from you instead be like asking what you want to give to the world so that's always i wish i would have learned that way earlier was to um root myself deeper in what I wanted to be and give and, and trust that and not be swayed by the outside noise. Um, and then yeah, that goes with, you know, what not to do is, is be swayed by so much. It's so easy, especially in LA to be swayed by other people's ideas, Mm -hmm. but uh, there is a part of every person that knows what to do. There is this quiet part. And I think have a practice, have some kind of practice that removes you, whether that's meditation or prayer or, or exercise or dance or yelling at a wall. I don't care. (laughs) Have some kind of practice that removes you, um, from the world and takes you back into yourself. I think that those are the things that have saved me. Awesome. Yeah. That's solid advice from start to finish. I just, yeah, really, really uh, great stuff. Um, thank you for that. Uh, okay. So NC, like I said, NCIS new Orleans, and we're going to make sure everybody checks out pretext because like I said, I just think that's a really important message and, uh, the bravery to make it first of all and put it out there. And so I hope we can direct a lot of people to see that. Um, and where else, what you got coming up in the future? Well, I do have this movie that I'm shooting this week that I can't, I don't, they just approved for me to get the script. So I, uh, I, I can't say anything about that yet, but you know, it's always best to go on IMDb cause that, uh, that updates everything that mm-hmm. I can kind of, uh, release. And then I usually keep my Instagram pretty up to date. That's the only social media that I use. Um, and that's just, uh, Christina Elizabeth Smith is my Instagram. Okay. So if you ever want to snoop on that go right ahead we will direct Uh, everybody to snoop don't worry yeah (laughs) come and snoop (laughs) that's fine Uh, and definitely when you have more stuff coming out about that movie you can definitely come back on the show open invite really absolutely awesome yeah you guys are amazing i really appreciate all your really you know great questions and keeping me on track (laughs) (laughs) well thank you and thank you for the compliments and we look forward to having you back on when like jayla said you could talk about that movie (laughs) yeah exactly awesome well listen you have a great day Uh, you said you're in new orleans right now are you getting all the rain we're getting yeah yeah i like it it's peaceful yeah i can't complain yeah we're just down the road from you right now we're over in biloxi so yeah Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, we're we're dealing with that as well. But <laughs> well, I had to go. Yeah, I had to go to Pensacola yesterday the, the other day, and right? freaking trying to cold rain. Oh, yeah. oh, well, enjoy the quiet of New Orleans and the peaceful of the rain, and uh, have a great rest of the day. And uh, we will definitely be in touch with you soon. We will tell everybody where to find you, and we look forward to having you back on real soon. All right. Appreciate you guys. Thanks so much. All right. Bye bye now. Bye.